Hello and welcome to Always in Escrow with Serena Appel and Colby Burchin. Hello, Colby. Hello, Serena. I am so thrilled and inspired. I'm delighted to introduce you to Love, Learn, and Soar, ABA Therapy, Consultation, and Support in Boca Raton, Florida. We have with us today Mia Belsky, the founder, who is a state-licensed special education teacher, general education teacher, and school principal, and she holds a master's degree in exceptional student education, certification in school supervision and leadership, and is a board-certified behavior analyst. Samantha Pollack received her bachelor's degree in family and child sciences with a minor in psychology. She holds her master's degree in applied behavior analysis with a specialization in autism spectrum disorders. We're going to welcome Mia and Samantha to the show. Thank you guys so much for having us. We are so excited to get to talk to you guys about what we to do. Well, I'm especially excited, Serena. Uh, These two ladies are very special to me and my family. So Mia, what inspired you to open a center? So specifically a center because we were servicing children in other schools and in preschools, and we were just not able to be that effective in somebody else's classroom, in somebody else's hallways, because a lot of what we do is manipulate the environment. A lot of times we'll wait out behaviors, and that can be very disruptive. So in the center, we're able to do everything we need to do for our kiddos, and we've been really effective. Beautiful. So what do you do as a BCBA? As BCBAs, we write treatment plans for our clients where we target the goals and behaviors and all of the um, tools that the families will need um, to kind of help their children who are maybe struggling behaviorally or socially or in different ways um, to kind of, you know, help them gain more independence or get get those social skills and all of that. And just to add to that too, um, the reason a lot of times you'll hear like applied behavior analysis and autism together, which we'll talk more about autism. Mia knows amazing, you know, information about that, but you'll hear ABA and you'll hear autism tied together so closely. And that's because ABA is the only proven treatment from the CDC used for kids with or anyone with autism. But the cool thing about behavior analysis is that it can be used for any person. It can be used in classrooms. It can be used, I mean, people in HR use this science. Like it's a very cool, cool, cool thing. And it's not just for children with autism. However, for us and our company at Lover and Soar, our clients do have autism and that's the science that we, that we use. Nice. What are some early warning signs of autism and who can diagnose autism? So some early, and I'll just say that I'm a mother of a child with autism who's now actually 20 years old and is attending Beacon College. I'll just put a little shout out for them here. Um, And I'm so grateful for all they do for all our kids. I might start crying a little bit. Um, But some of the early warning signs, and I saw them too, Um, was little eye contact when you were feeding them, breastfeeding them or bottle feeding them, kind of looking away. Um, When you would point to something, they wouldn't track. They don't track. So you might point to something and they're not looking at where your finger is going. Um, They might have repetitive behaviors. They might not answer your name. They might scream out. They might not use language. 
very well or effectively. Their language might not develop as quickly or easily as other children. Well, thank you for sharing. Okay, Mia, so can you cure autism? No, you can't cure autism, but you can you can help people to live a more independent life and a more meaningful life by teaching them the necessary skills to do that. Samantha, why does it seem like children with autism engage in problem behaviors? So that's a great question. Um, it really goes back to what behavior is and why anyone engages in behavior. So as behavior analysts, we learn um, why people do what they do, which is super interesting. But for all living humans, all living organisms, there are four functions of behavior. And the four functions are escape, so needing to get out of something physically, emotionally, like escape, getting out of something. The second one is um, attention, getting someone's attention, whether it's giving, you know, lots of love and hugs attention, talking to someone attention, or even someone yelling or screaming at you or looking at you or close to you, that sort of attention. Then there's um, access to items or tangibles like getting a water bottle or wanting a cookie or, you know, wanting to go to an activity, access to things, wanting things. And the last one is sensory. So, you know, the way we feel, that feels good to us. People, you know, a lot of my clients love squeezing because they enjoy that input in their body. So they might want they might engage in certain behaviors to get that feeling. So those are the four functions of behavior. The reason that specific children with autism engage in some of these problem behaviors, and I'm going to talk about them for a second, maybe screaming, maybe engaging in self-injurious behavior, like hitting themselves, biting themselves, pulling out their hair, um, maybe hurting other people. Um, those are just examples. Running away from their parents, major safety concerns. So those are a lot of behaviors we deal with and see every day. And the reason why it's tied a lot to our children with autism is because a lot of them have issues with communication, issues with understanding social situations. Because of the autism symptoms of repetitive behavior, they just don't come into contact like how neurotypical children do to figure out the best way to get their needs met. So for example, like if a child was screaming all the time, and we've seen this, screaming, and then just from the screaming, their parents run upstairs, what's wrong? Hugs, kisses, all of that. Like as you would do, of course, that child's like, oh, my scream met the need that I wanted my parents' attention. I wanted someone to come upstairs and love me. That worked. That's my that's my function of behavior. So now, next time I scream, does mom and dad run upstairs, give me love and hugs? And you know, because a lot of our kids have that verbal, like, and vocal deficit, which isn't always tied to autism, but a lot of times it is. Um, they use things that are just, you know, it's easier to just go like this than to be like, I need a napkin because they don't have the means to do so right now, and it really needs to be taught. Um, so that's really why I would say a lot of our kids with autism do engage in these behaviors. And what we really do as behavior analysts teach them like your needs are important. And yes, they should be met because those functions of behavior are all appropriate. Like those are, it's okay to want to escape. 
It's okay to want attention, but here's how you get it. Spot on, Samantha. I I couldn't have explained it any better. Um, I just want to add that we all have these four functions of behavior. You go to work to get paid. That's access to tangible. You put on a comfy blanket because it feels good. That's sensory. So our kids aren't any different from anybody else. It's really how we teach them that might need to be a little different. Wonderful. Thank you so much for doing the work you're doing and for sharing with us in our community. So if you're working with kids for 40 hours a week, how do you promote independence? What are some ways? So the reason that ABA is provided in such large, I guess, dosage or prescription or the amount of time that we are with these kids is because consistency is really key. Consistency and time. So we work with these children for enormous amounts of their 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 weeks like 40 hours is a full you know full-time job like for adults so the the reason we start off that strong especially when we get young kids insurance recommends from cdc uh i think it's 10 to 40 hours is like that's it like we don't recommend less we don't recommend more that's the amount of time that's recommended so um, when you're providing 40 hours a week of services, it's very like invasive, you know, We're and the reason we do it at first is because we really want to be able to teach. We want to be able to teach the parents. We want to be able to teach the kids. We want to do it in this setting, in that setting, with this words, with that, with this function, with this behavior. We want to make sure that we're all encompassing and we're consistent and, and just, you know, thorough in our treatment. We do not just say 40 hours and then one day we're like, all done with ABA. That's not how it works. We make sure that we fade our services very systematically, depending on if their goals are being met and we see behavior reduction. So we will kind of take a kid who's at 40 hours, maybe after a year, maybe six months when we do reassessments, we're like, oh great, you know, his language is going up super high. He's getting access to things he wants. Um, We're seeing less of the self-injury. Now let's back. Let's go from 40 hours a week to 30. Let's go from 30 to 25 and maybe another, you know, six months to a year, two years. It's so individualized. And then eventually we fade out and maybe we'll start going into another setting with them, making sure the parents feel like they're ready to take on these behaviors on their own. Because at the end of the day, Mia and I can work with these kids well, because we know what we're doing. But if it, at the end of the day, if we are all done and all done with the case, the parents, to be the ones and the families and the caregivers need to be the ones who are able to kind of follow through with some of these strategies that they might always need in their life. So we do fade systematically. So yes, 40 can sound like a lot at first with goals to fade as we go and teach, you know, other stakeholders what to do when, when we, um, release service. Also, what we want to see is that children are accessing reinforcement in their environment and that, and their natural environment. And what do I mean by that? When you color something and it's, when your child colors something and it's beautiful, you go, wow, that's gorgeous. And you hang it on the fridge, right? So that's praise. That's reinforcement. And we use reinforcement. It's not like training an animal. It's, we do a lot of natural environment training here at Love Learn Soar. We find it to be so effective for our clients. So we want our clients to be able to get that reinforcement naturally in their environment without it being manipulated by a clinician, without us arranging the environment so we teach the skill. We want them to be able to do things independently and access that reinforcement, whatever it is. 
that paycheck, that praise, right? Um, also, when we say 40 hours a week, that's 40 hours of direct one-to-one -one therapy. That's done by somebody that works under a board-certified behavior analyst called a registered behavior technician. They have to take a course. They have to complete a competency with a board-certified behavior analyst. They have to write an exam. So, And then we supervise for 10% of the time. However, in our center, because we're not we're not talking about home-based services or school-based, our board-certified behavior analysts are always here. So while they're directly supervising for 10% of the time, so let's say four hours a week, they're not they're, they're here so they can see and they can contribute when they see one of their other clients um, engaging in some sort of behavior in some sort of behavior that we either want to praise or we want to reduce. Um, also, I wanted to say that we don't always recommend 40 hours a week. When a child is older, or let's say a child um, you know, has had ABA for a long time, we might not recommend that. When a child has a lot of high-functioning skills and is functioning independently at school, we're not going to say, no, we have to put ABA in there. Absolutely not if they're successful. But the parents may tell us, yeah, but when they get home, they melt, and we don't know how to deal with this behavior. So that obviously wouldn't be a 40-hour-a-week child. We might be doing 10 to 20 hours a week. And also when Samantha talked about all those different environments, that's super important to teach the skills in all those different environments, whether it's us or whether it's the parents or whether it's someone else. That's called generalization. So we know like when somebody walks through a door, you say, hello, how are you? Right. And so we want to teach that in all settings, not just when the child walks through my door. Right. And one final thing, when Samantha talked about increasing these skills and how we might fade out, we use actual data to make those decisions. In the treatment plan that Samantha talked about earlier, we put in actual goals, we put in where the child is at now, what behaviors we wanna see reduced, and what replacement behaviors we're gonna put in the way. Because remember, Sam said, each behavior has a function for all of us, for everyone. So we don't want to just eliminate the behavior. It's for a reason. So we want to, uh, we want to replace it appropriately. And we take actual data. So those goals that we put in the treatment plan are in um, a, a, a data acquisition system, and the RBTs, the Registered Behavior Technicians, as they're taking, teaching the skills, they take between three to five data points a day on each of those skills. Samantha looks at that, or one of our other BCBAs looks at that, and they say, wow, they've really improved there. Maybe we can master this out and work on something else. Or maybe the parents say, wow, they've improved it there, but it's not improved at home. So then we know we have to improve it at home. And we meet with our parents once a month for parent training and to discuss the data. So question, how do parents get ABA services for their children? First of all, um, your pediatrician might notice maybe your child's speech isn't developing properly and they might recommend a speech and language eval, right? Maybe your child is 
exhibiting some behaviors that the pediatrician might be concerned with. And the pers the people who do evaluations, you know, for really any learning disability or, or autism um, or ADHD really are um, and especially autism, you should really go to a psychologist or a neurologist who's, exper who's experienced in doing the right assessments to determine autism, not just to look at your child and say, oh, they're autistic. No, the, an assessment has to be done. Several assessments have to be done. And the people who know how to do that are school psychologists, um, neuropsychologists, developmental pediatricians, neurologists. But you should really start with your pediatrician and get a list of recommendations or speak to your school guidance counselor or social worker and get a list of recommendations of appropriate people in your area. Fantastic. Really. Such incredible information. How can people get in touch with you and, you know, talk about your different offerings? So you can get in touch with us by going to love, L-O-V-E, learn, L-E-A-R-N, soar, S-O-A-R.com. Or um, you can call 561-563-1117 and we'll be happy to talk with you. Well, we really appreciate your time, your patience, your consistency, and all of the training that has led you to this moment. So thank you for coming on our show. We really appreciate you. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you so much. 